2: Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham.
0: Welcome, 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 I said four because I have four guests today. If you want to run simply with the Game Changers, you're absolutely in the right place. We have a very important topic. It impacts your company no matter where you are, what you do, what industry, wherever you are. You really need to listen up. Okay, the topic, rev Rec. Those of you in the financial arena know what that means. <clears throat> I'll translate. Revenue recognition is the single most important item on your company's financial statement and perhaps to your entire organization. Now, the IASB and FASB, FASB, already announced new converged revenue accounting standards. However, aha, these may be delayed by a year. So we have a couple questions on the table. If you haven't started planning yet for the impact, what should your next steps be when you eventually get started? And perhaps when should you start? If you've already started, should you adjust? For the delay? Is it something that you have to stop and start again, or can you keep going? And big question to all of you who don't love to read, have you read the 700 pages of new rules yet? I say yet because you probably should put that in your plan. We have a panel of four experts today. <coughs> Excuse me. We may, in fact, end up with some divergent opinions, which should be very interesting. So let's start off with our experts. First up on the panel, I'd like to welcome Chris Smith. He is with Capital markets Markets and Accounting Advisory Services, that's CMAAS at PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers. And Chris sent me the following quote, it's just an accounting change. How hard could that possibly be? Well, I like that attitude. Chris Smith, welcome. How are you today?
3: Very well, thanks, bye
0: Thanks for joining me. Talk to me. Interesting quote. Why don't you tell us more?
3: Sure. Um I get asked that question a lot. Um, I'd say, you know, the the accounting in this area, it's complicated, but frankly most companies have, you know, smart people on their finance teams. I'd say the accounting, if anything, is probably the easy part for a lot of companies. I think the bigger challenge for companies is RevREX just an area that A, everybody has a point of view on in the company, um, because it drives comp and other metrics. Um, but B, it touches many of the organizations outside of finance. So Sales tax, IT, um, and then because of the strict rules we've had in the U.S., it has had a, the impact of in some in some businesses uh, constraining the way they do business or driving the way they go to market. Uh, so I think this sea change in the rules here um, gives them the opportunity to reevaluate that that whole landscape uh, and figuring out all of those impacts and do they want to do business differently? Do they want to have a different go-to-market strategy? Um, I think it's going to be where the, the hard work is for companies. Frankly, I think mm-hmm. they'll get the accounting figured out uh, in, the, in the nearer term here.
0: Interesting, Chris. So there is a ripple effect then throughout the business, which is what I said in my opening, impact on your company's financial statement as well as your organization. Very, very interesting. Thank you for starting off this topic with a provocative point of view, Chris Smith, and now joining us as our second panelist. He's David Ferguson. He's been on the show before. He's a director in Deloitte Consulting's technology service area. And here's an interesting quote from David Ferguson. He says, there is a one-year delay. We don't need to worry about the change for another year or so? So he says, delay, delay. David Ferguson, welcome back. How are you?
4: Doing very well, Bonnie. And my biggest concern is that that is the message people are going to hear uh, and that people are going to think is the right course of action because that is decidedly not the right course of action. There should be a question mark at the end of that. Um, but I, I think that as as uh, Chris and Julie have talked about time is of the essence. Even with the one-year delay, time is still of the essence. There are significant impacts within the organization. There are significant impacts to the financial statements. There are significant impacts to the tax uh, reporting uh, that will take place. Um, And there is significant impact uh, within the compensation arena uh, and with goals and metrics within the firm. And it's important to start now. Don't be lulled into inaction by the fact that there has been a one-year delay. One must move forward with all due haste and with a, a good speed at this point and, and move forward with this. So it is definitely not a call to take, sit back and take it easy. It is a call to rally the troops and to move forward with all due haste.
0: All due haste. Mm -hmm. I like that. Can you think we can make that an official accounting term, David Ferguson? All due haste?
4: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we should. That's my goal.
0: You heard it live here on Financial Excellence with Game Changers, and the key words are game changers and excellence and financial, of course. Thank you, David. Very profound. Let's welcome our fourth panelist, Pete Graham. You're the mastermind who put this whole panel together. Thank you. Pete is a Director in Finance Solutions and Mobility at SAP, and Pete has brought us a quote from somebody who is not a panelist today. Very interesting. George S. Patton. Those of you remembering, Patton was a U.S. Army general who commanded the 7th U.S. Army in the Mediterranean and Europe. European theaters of World War II, but he's best known for his leadership of the Third U.S. Army and France and Germany following the Allied invasion of Normandy. Just a little trivia for our listeners. Here's the quote Pete brought me. It is, a good plan executed today is better than the perfect plan executed tomorrow. Hmm. Pete Graham, welcome back. How are you?
5: Thanks, Bonnie. Great to be back. I'm Will.
0: Talk to me. Interesting quote. How did George Patton find his way on financial excellence with Game Changers Radio? Well, I think, um, you know,
5: he happened to be in a situation where there was a lot of of uncertainty and certainly a lot of of moving pieces, so to speak. And that seems to be the situation a lot of our customers are in. Um, They have a lot of challenges in front of them. Not all the answers are clear. And that's kind of why I picked that quote is because what we're finding is that the customers that are starting with the plan, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, it's not the perfect plan, but just Starting, moving forward, making progress, learning some lessons. Obviously, there are some small failures in there, but learning from them, adjusting and moving on seem to be making much better progress than the other approach, which is trying to have the perfect plan and then executing it.
0: Very interesting, Pete, and I have a question for you. Do you think anybody out there listening... Has actually read all 700 pages of the rules. I know we did a topic similar to this a couple months ago, and that was one of our mantras. You have to read the rules. Has anybody read them? Is anybody going to, and why I, is there 700 well, I pages? Think there
5: are a few. I mean we, we know that some have. Uh, mm-hmm. We have had some people in our team that have, and there are some other customers that have told us they have. Um, but reading and then truly comprehending and being able to then implement and execute on those 700 pages is certainly those are different stories, right.
0: Are there cliff notes, Pete? (laughs) There are. I mean,
5: all the the accounting firms here represented have cliff notes which people can read, and they should. They usually are about 15 to 20 pages.
0: Well, that's the spirit of Cliff Notes. Thank you very much. And I'm going to go to our panelist, Julie Zelke, who has rejoined us. She's a partner at Ernst & Young's Financial Accounting Advisory Services Practices in Chicago. Julie, I'm going to read your quote again. Let's start from the beginning. Don't let the proposed delay create a delay in your organization. This quite possibly will be one of the most transformative accounting pronouncements of our time, impacting multiple facets of an organization. Welcome, Julie Zelke. How are you today?
1: Excellent, pleased to do so. So uh, I think having spent some time both in public accounting as well as in industry that I've seen a lot of what has come and gone as the way of accounting standards go. And what's so interesting to me about RevRec is, you know, as you said earlier Bonnie, it's the top line of the P&L. There's such a huge scrutiny both inside of a company as well as outside on getting revenues right. And a lot of us joke a lot about widget companies or lemonade stands, but pretty much every company and every industry will be impacted in some way, shape, or form. Um, so, you know, even those lemonade stands will have to think about, for example, the expanded disclosure requirements. But really, you know, I think um, beyond just the financial statement impact as well as the disclosures, the companies are looking at everything from processes, controls, and policies. And many companies are using it the broader accounting change general, even beyond revenue recognition, as a catalyst for where they see they need a major finance transformation in their organization, or even perhaps an ERP system consolidation or conversion. So really at the end, my biggest observation about the new standard and talking with companies and formally as a financial statement preparer myself is that it really takes a lot more than just the nuts and bolts of us accountants going through the exercise of the 700 pages mm-hmm. that you and Pete were joking about, but really to be effective and get it right across the organization. What I think is so transformative is that all business functions have to come together and really engage to think about the new standard and how it will impact the entire company. It's really that type of collaboration that's key to getting us to a successful implementation
0: thank you Julie I have a question for you just level set for me IASB FASB is this only for U.S. based companies or does this affect companies that uh, are started and have headquarters somewhere else around the world just so we know
1: yep Bonnie it affects everyone whether no matter where you're based you got it right
0: Okay. So we have a global audience and that's why that makes this even more important to our listeners. Uh, Julie, let me ask you and then we're going to go back to Chris and then you and David and Pete. And I'm going to ask you all the key question of the day. What's in your cup today? Because this is part of our. Ongoing flagship series, Coffee Break, with Game Changers. But, Julie, question. Are small companies worrying about this too? Startups, entrepreneurs, let's say somebody who's been in business uh, one to three years who maybe has a core team of of 10 people or 20 people and has a handful of customers. Is this impacting them, or are they coming on board at a time when they already know about the new rules and they're already on board with the, the new RevRec?
1: Well, Bonnie, it's an interesting question, and private companies, I think a lot of what you mentioned in that space will get an extra year with respect to the implementation Ah. date, but I'm definitely seeing there's a lot of activity in the middle market, um, as well as startups, those perhaps planning a capital transaction of some type in the near-term future, so definitely a lot of interest across companies of all sizes.
0: Thank you very much. Good to know, and let's go back to Chris Smith, our opening panelist. Chris? Chris? What are you drinking today, or what are you planning to drink after the show? Give me a little story.
3: Sure. Um, Well, growing up in the U.K., as as I'm sure you can appreciate, I was a a tea drinker um, and uh, sort of grew up on very, very bad coffee, um, hence hence the preference (laughs) of tea. But uh, having having been in the U.S. now for uh, 15 years, I'm afraid I've now become that annoying guy in the coffee shop that orders the uh, skinny, sugar-free, vanilla, extra-hot, no-foam latte. (laughs)
0: Mm-hmm. So, what are you What did you say you were drinking today? Are you still drinking tea or you're only a coffee guy now?
3: I, I, I still have to have my afternoon tea about 3 o'clock, obviously. Um, you you know, I stop, stop work for about an hour and have sandwiches, <laughs> etc.,
0: Well, how nice. I have to tell you that we recently had some guests from the UK on on one of our series, Chris, and uh, this particular gentleman said that he calls the way Americans drink tea with a tea bag. He calls it dusty tea because it's been sitting on a shelf in a box maybe for years, and that's not the real deal. Would you agree with that?
3: I have been very confused by tea in the U.S.,
0: yes. (laughs) Thank you very much. I think we need to do a whole show on coffee or tea. That'll be, if I need a filler later in the year, I'm going to call you. Julie Zelke, what are you drinking right now, or what do you plan to drink after the show?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, I know it's only about noon in Chicago. What I'd like to be drinking right now is kind of akin to where I came from, which is the great state of Kentucky. And when I think spring, I think horse races, I think sunshine. This is the thoroughbred r- racing season, and recently having been down for the races, I've been thinking about mint juleps an awful lot, Bonnie. I'd really like to have a sterling silver mint julep cup with some shaved ice and strong bourbon and a little bit of mint stirred in there today, but I'll wait till after work for that. What's better than a little bourbon to make revenue recognition easier, huh?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think we just solved everybody's problem. Thank you very much, Julie. Appreciate that. I'm I'm sniffing the mint in my mind right now. Sounds wonderful. Shaved ice. Bourbon, not so much for me, but the silver cup and the mint. I don't know. It just sounds really – I'll have a virgin mint julep. How's that? Oh, maybe not. David Ferguson, where are you calling from, and what are you thinking about drinking, or what's in your cup right now?
4: (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm in Houston uh, today. Um, and uh, when we last talked, I you would uh, probably remember I'm uh, an aficionado around tequila uh, and really uh, good quality uh, tequila. But what I'm thinking about uh, is uh, the last uh, getting over a mean case of jet lag after having been on the uh, Cornish coast uh, in the U.K. in England for the last 10 days spending time uh, with my in-laws and most specifically with my 2-year-old niece so what I'm thinking about is the fact that for the last seven days I was up at 6.30 every morning uh, having a sippy cup of juice uh, with my niece so she could sit at the breakfast table and have Cheerios and uh, juice with Uncle David, um, and so I'm reflecting back on that this morning.
0: You are a good Uncle David. And how appropriate to have this comment just the day after Mother's Day, which was yesterday. I didn't know if Mother's Day was just a U.S. holiday, but I was on a team call with colleagues from around the world, and they said, yes, Mother's Day is celebrated in other countries as well. So thank you for the mm. family reference. I appreciate that, David Ferguson. Pete Graham, you've been waiting so patiently. You want to give me a zinger? What are you drinking? Let's see if you can oh, top no, all of stuff. those I mean, great stories.
5: Uh, and I want to thank the panelists for joining I me. Mean, literally – all of us have been so busy jumping on airplanes, I am drinking Powerade Zero to stay fresh and alert <laughs> because we have more airplanes to get on this week to visit customers to help them uh, with the challenges they have they have ahead.
0: Well, I appreciate that. What is Powerade? Is that similar to Gatorade or what? Yep. Tell me a little more. Exactly. Is there a flavor?
5: It's, a, it's Gatorade. We've got grape today because that's the, the kind my kids like. And mm-hmm. uh, it's Zero, which means it doesn't have a lot of calories, so there's there's no sugar in it.
0: This is a family show, except for Julie. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, our topic today is new revenue recognition. Is it here yet? And you're certainly going to hear a lot of expert advice in addition to what you've already heard. By the way, we are tweeting here today at hashtag SAP radio. I'll spell that for you. S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Put the pound sign, which is a hashtag in front of it. We'd love to hear your comments, your questions, even if you're not listening to us live. And we're here on Monday, May 11th. It's now a little after 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Even after the show is on demand, we'd love to hear from you at hashtag SAP Radio. My panelists, my elite panelists are in the know about RevRec. Chris Smith at PwC, Julie Zelke at ENY. I'm using all the abbreviations here. David Ferguson, I don't know how to abbreviate Deloitte, so I'll just say it, and Pete Graham at SAP. We have an alphabet soup of great companies today. We're going to be right back with a lot more for advice, insights, and uh, some interesting opinions on new revenue recognition. Is it here yet? And what does it mean to your company wherever you are in the world? I'm Bonnie D. Graham and I'm planning to be me right after the break as well. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Michael out.
2: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. SAP Simple Finance, powered by SAP, is a part of SAP for hana the next-generation business suite. SAP Simple Finance draws upon innovative in-memory, mobile, and cloud technologies to deliver one common secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more at www.sap.com forward slash simple finance. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now let's get back to financial excellence with game changers.
0: Welcome back. Our topic is new RevRec. That's revenue recognition. Is it here yet? If it's gonna be a delay. Should you start now? Should you wait? Should you think about it? Should you talk to somebody about it? Lots of great information from my panelists. Kicking off our 30-minute roundtable is Chris Smith at PwC. And Chris told me in his notes before the show, he said, we hear a lot of companies worried about doing the work now while there's still uncertainty about potential changes to the model. And he says, first of all, most of the model is not going to change. Let's start with that point. And Chris, why don't you expand it for us, please?
3: Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, So... Mm -hmm the standard's still in flux. Um, we're expecting a new exposure draft actually at the end of this week. Uh, mm. some areas of the model being changed, but first of all, I would say the majority of the standard isn't going to change when we get the, the new exposure draft this Friday. Most of the model is going to remain the same as it's been since it was released last May. Um, I think we already have a pretty good idea of the areas that are going to change. uh, even once it's out, I think companies are still going to have some time to digest and figure out, well, what does that mean for me, translating it into what does it mean for their business models? Mm -hmm. And so we do see that uncertainty creating a little bit of paralysis, I think, at some companies in terms of, unless I have all the answers, I can't proceed. Um, But I'd actually go back to uh, the uh, quote from uh, General Patton at the beginning of this. Um, If we wait for perfection and all the answers you're going to be waiting a really long time. I think there's mm-hmm. a huge amount you can do now. Uh, and I think the, the advice I give to companies in terms of what they can do now is put your issues into three buckets. There are some areas where you know you will not have a change and it'll be business as usual and you know leave things alone. There are some areas where it's very obvious you'll have a change and you know what that change is and you can go down a path. And there's some things in the middle where – still need some further guidance, still need some further interpretation. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't get going on the pieces that you do know will change. Uh, and even for the things that are uh, uncertain, usually you know the answer is either A or B, and so you can start to plan for you know, those two outcomes. It's, it's rare that there's just a you know, complete, we have no idea what that's going to be. So I think there is a lot companies can do today, um, and they have to, because if they wait till uh, the uncertainty is all resolved, they will not have time to execute on the changes.
0: Thank you, Chris. Before I bring in Julie and David and Pete on this conversation, quick question for you, Chris Smith. to whom are we addressing this? Is this the CFO? Is it the CEOFO's immediate team? Is there a uh, probably a, a, a dark room with the old bank lamps and the, and the green eye shades uh, in a corner of the basement somewhere with 40 or 50 or 100 accountants sitting there waiting for these rules to trickle through and somebody to pass the note through the door, you know, the answer, please, like on the Academy Awards? Whose job is it that we're talking about here?
3: Um, So I think clearly a lot of the load falls on finance. Um, It is an accounting standard after all. Um, But I think companies that try to tackle it just inside finance um, struggle very quickly because Ah. you've got to get buy-in from the other stakeholders across the organization in particular. The IT organization has to work very closely with finance here. Um, And so I think typically finance-led, but very important to have – uh, senior leadership and the other functions that are impacted involve because, A, they'll have a point of view on policy changes and mm-hmm. directions that you're taking, and, B, you will need their support because some of the changes that are being made by the finance guys are going to ripple through their organizations and have you know, corresponding effects on them.
0: Okay, thank you. Julie Zelke, join us. Thoughts on any of what Chris presented for us, please?
1: Yeah, definitely, Bonnie. And I do agree. I like his buckets that he was laying out there with Mm -hmm. respect to no change, some change, a lot of change. And as I was saying in my introduction, I, I definitely agree it's more than a controllership exercise to be right, uh, to get it right and to be effective. You know, what we're really seeing is that we have lots of business functions that are participating. Chris mentioned a couple in terms of IT and finance being very close, but I also see tax, uh, FP&A, Um, sales and marketing, amongst others, having a seat at the table as well. Definitely from a governance perspective, more on a day-to-day basis. I think Chris is right. Earlier in the project, we see a lot going on between controllership, at least in terms of identifying uh, the changes, as Chris mentioned, the three buckets, and then trying to figure out from there how they would define business rules around those changes and then pulling IT in to start to think about the design and the implementation
4: aspects.
0: Thank you. David Ferguson, thoughts?
4: You bet. I agree. Actually, it's uh, as I said in my opening comments. It's uh, the time is is now to to get moving. I agree uh, with uh, with both of the points uh, that both Chris and Julie have made. But I think it's it is important to recognize that there is a substantial portion of information that is there and is set, and you can begin working with. Um, and um, uh, and you need to to be able to do that, and you need to get started with that, and have a a judicious plan. It is going to be an iterative process. Um, One as the uh, rules uh, continue to refine themselves. Uh, And then number two, it will be iterative because um, many of the companies that we deal with, uh, the way their contracts are written today may not be the way their contracts are written tomorrow, and they may not be the way the contracts are written in two years' time or three years' time. So it is going to be an iterative, evolving process And I agree with Julie's comment, Um, like I said, being the ex-tax guy um, and the ex-finance guy, uh, it is important to make sure that those groups are involved in the discussion. Certainly finance will set the tone at the beginning, uh, but tax will certainly be impacted by the changes, um, FT&A, and certainly having technology involved early on so that they understand the changes are coming, that they can begin planning for the system, Um, changes to the system and the impacts on the systems as they stand and most importantly so everyone understands that there is a time limit on this and that Mm -hmm. there is a a, uh, um, you know there is a drop-dead date and things have to be in place uh, by that point in time.
0: Thank you very much. Pete Graham I know you have a lot to say join us.
4: Sure I mean
5: I think the panelists have mentioned that the dynamic nature the iterative nature as well as the the cross-functional teamwork needed, and we're seeing that in practice. I think the challenge, especially for U.S. companies, is that this is now a principles-based standard, and before it was not. And so what we see is customers working, even if you have IT and accounting working together already, we still have accounting in the middle of making some choices. And so the best they can tell their IT colleagues at the moment is, it's a little bit gray, my requirement might be door number one or it could be door number two and Mm -hmm. sometimes that gives a little heartburn to IT because they need to know which door it is or which result it actually will be so they can start their plans and so I think that's the challenge we're seeing and that uh, that's why we're seeing this dynamic nature.
0: Thank you very much. Chris I'm going to give you a chance to comment on what your co-panelist said before I move on to another topic with Julie. So Chris any thoughts to wrap this topic up?
3: Yeah, certainly something Pete said resonated with me, you know, in particular the focus on the U.S., you know, having come from the U.K. originally, you know, when I left the U.K., there were no accounting standards on revenue recognition, uh, and it was a while ago. But, uh, you know, since they've issued two, that the IFRS literature on this topic is relatively skinny relative to the U.S. rules. Here we have hundreds and hundreds of pages, probably thousands of pages of detailed rule-driven literature. And I think just culturally, we've become very used to there being a specific rule that tells us what to do. Um, And that's just not the environment under the new standard. Um, As Pete said, it's much more principles-based, conceptual. Um, But at some point, companies do need to turn that into, well, what's the policy and how are we going to drive that for our company? Um, Because that's the information the IT guys need to go and execute. um, Because you you can't have a situation where a person needs to sit around and think about every single transaction that comes through the pipe um, because that just doesn't scale very well. And so I think that's the, the big challenge for, for U.S. companies. And we have a different regulatory environment here as well where we're a lot more afraid to make uh, guesses and estimates in the area of revenue recognition because there's a huge amount of sensitivity uh, on that number.
0: Thank you, Chris, for clarifying and elaborating. Julie Zelke, I'm looking at your notes. I found a couple things that are very interesting. I'm going to combine two sentences here and see what you can do with them. You say, for those who are still in the scoping phase for the new RevRec rules, we see a lot of industry collaboration and talking amongst peers, particularly on standards, interpretation, and application. That's the first thought, Julie. The second is you say there's also a lot of interest from the investor and analyst community, particularly on the transition method. So it sounds to me like I'm thinking of the the song No Man as an island from way, way back when, uh, that companies are not alone in this. You say there's industry collaboration and peer conversation. So why don't you hit all those points for me, Julie, and then we'll have the rest of the panel chime in, please.
1: Sure, Bonnie, happy to. You know, it is um, uh, kind of a group exercise in some respects where I think um, in times of change, companies do look to peers uh, whether it's a friend sitting in a different controllership organization or if it's a company that has direct uh, competition, if you will, they're in the same industry. And I, I think it's goodness in that. We can only look at that with the intent of the standard to create more consistency amongst companies and how they account for RevRec, that that type of sharing and collaboration up front is very important. So you know, beyond what we all know, the TRG or the Transition Resource Group that has the 18 or so different task force by industry aligned. I think we're seeing some of that in practice as well within industries just on the more informal collaboration. Some have also created their own work groups or their own roundtables. I think most of us uh, big four accounting firms have also hosted a number of um, industry type events to get companies together for that collaboration. So I think, again, it's all goodness, the talking amongst peers, the talking between companies to try to achieve what is really the intent of the new standard, which is consistency. So um, yep. that, that's my thought on collaboration. If you want to talk about the investor and analyst community on mm-hmm. uh, the transition method, I think um, a lot of uh, preparation that goes into how the company will implement the new standard, that's a big guidepost in terms of which method will be selected, whether it's the full retrospective, which involves restating prior period financials in the year of change, or if it's the modified retrospective that people tend to think is easier you know, because of, of not the full uh, comparative statement, but there's still a lot of work that's going to have to be put into the modified method in order to get the comparative disclosure that will be required. So uh, I think guidance is kind of split based on what we've seen and if, with maybe a third bucket or a bigger bucket saying, I don't know yet, but Uh, depending going back to the expectation amongst the analyst and the the peer group, you know, some companies have said okay, I'll have to do what my peers are going to do so if if, uh, companies start saying full retrospective, for example uh, within that industry group it's much more likely that they'll toe the line with that from the consistency standpoint, Uh, but I I think it's been pretty split, a lot of I don't know yet, at least as we're seeing with the disclosures that are required by companies and then um, for those that do know, pretty even split between the two methods, I'd be curious though if my colleagues agree.
0: <laughs> We're going to find out. David Ferguson, you're up first. Agree or disagree with Julie?
4: <laughs> I absolutely agree with Julie. No, I uh, I think Julie. One of the things that that this brings up, and I'll speak to the second point with respect to the investor community. So far, a lot of the things, and I've had the uh, the great pleasure of working with Julie on or being with Julie and and Pete on other uh, other panels. Before, but I think one of the things where we always talk about and what we focus on is for example, the finance organization, the tax organization uh, the sales um, organization, basically all the stakeholder groups within the firm uh, that's going to have to change their revenue recognition policies. I think one of the things that that this has hit on is the fact that there's going to have to be an incredible ed- education program um to bring the investor community uh, up to speed and on board with what does this revenue recognition going to mean to them how does it change um, what they see within the the 10k and within the annual reports and the 10q how do they know and appreciate the information that's there and also um, you know brings up the the issue and the concern around um, that it's not purely a one day I'm on U.S. GAAP and the next day I'm on the new convergence methodology. I'm going to have to be able to present both uh, results under both uh, um, under both methodology during the transition period. So it is that whole education outside of the organization to make sure that people understand how your balance sheet has changed, how your income statement has changed, what is the impact within the organization, and again coming back to the peers. How do I compare to my peers within my industry? And again, that brings around in my mind the whole um, the need and and the the benefit of the industry peers collaborating with one another.
0: Thank you, Pete Graham. Thoughts?
5: Um, certainly, we're seeing this collaboration across the different peers within industries and even some cross industries. We've done some requirements gathering workshops, which EY has helped host in some cases, or, or work with us on the accounting side. It's been very interesting, the discussions we've had with customers, even across industry. But certainly, we've seen that within the industry, controllers at different companies are reaching out to each other. And even now, controllers across industry are also reaching out to each other. So definitely, this aspect of, hey, how are you doing it, is um, definitely a, a discussion point among the
3: accounting professionals that we're dealing with.
0: Thank you. Chris Smith, thoughts?
3: Yeah, so in terms of transition method, um, certainly agree with Julie in that I think a lot of companies initially perceive the modified retro approach um, to be easier because you have to recast fewer periods. Um, so I think that's people's initial reaction, but I think as soon as they start drilling down into it, they realize, A, In that year, they have to close the books twice on two different rule sets in their normal close cycle. And so if you're a public company doing that every quarter, I think just some perceived level of risk of having to work through that. And then secondarily, I think for the companies that have more material impacts where their model's going to change, huge concern that the analyst investor community just won't understand the trends in the business um, if they don't have that full recast. So in terms of what I'm seeing Uh, You know, very few companies have publicly said where they're going to land yet, but certainly the companies that are more materially impacted, I'm seeing most of them lean towards doing full retro because they think that information is just necessary. Um, They're still concerned about the volume of work that's going to involve, um, but don't really feel they have a choice. The companies that are doing modified, in my experience, at least tend to be the companies where maybe the impacts aren't as significant as uh, some of their peers.
0: Thank you very much. Julie, this was your topic. Any thoughts on what your co-panelists have shared?
1: Well, I think, Bonnie, it's nice to see that we're all aligned with respect to not only what we're seeing on the transition method, but also what we're seeing from an industry collaboration point of view. Uh, And I I agree, you know, a lot of market-facing events that we've all had an opportunity to participate in, and I think from where we sit um, Pete, not only you as a vendor, and Chris and David, you know us as service providers, just continuing to enhance or foster that collaboration is going to do nothing but bring goodness and help companies achieve the objective that the boards have in terms of of consistency, at least where consistency is appropriate. So good discussion, Bonnie. I think it was it was good to see the alignment there.
0: Thank you. Good. I'm glad, Julie. And now I'm going to move, uh, well, we have, let's see, 20, 40. we got about uh, less than 20 minutes left for the whole show, and I want to get a bunch more talking points in here. So, David Ferguson, I'm looking at you, your notes here. David from Deloitte, and I think I'd like to focus a little more uh, your point of view on how technology is going to be the heart of the REVREC transition. I know we mentioned it earlier, but, David, would you like to dig a little bit deeper into tech's involvement in this process, please?
4: You bet. Well, I'd like I say certainly um, once the um, – it is not just uh, the technology group, but I think that when when the uh, finance organization and the tax groups have, have addressed the technical accounting issues Uh, And the policies, it is going to be done to the technology group to enable that uh, and uh, to enable those policies, uh, to enable that reporting, uh, and to be able to provide systems that will support um, uh, both the current standard as well as the new standard. Um, And regardless of the methodology, uh, the system has to be in place. Um, I think one of Pete's comments is important to, rem- you know, uh, is important to remember, and it's going to be very difficult, I think, for a good number of technology groups, is that it is not a clear-cut uh, at this moment, an absolute answer of we need to do uh, X, Y, and Z. Uh, it is not here's a clear set of business requirements. Now let's go through a requirements matrix, tick them off, and say, yes, we're going to do this, this, and this. It is more of a fluid environment. It is more of a dynamic environment that people are going to have to work in and work through. But, again, I think the important element is that technology needs to be involved early on uh, in the discussion. They're certainly one of the key stakeholders uh, at the table for this discussion. Uh, they need to be investigating the systems that are in place now, and not only the financial accounting systems, but the uh, revenue recognition software that they may have in place at this point is it acceptable? Is it compatible with the new standards? If not, how are they going to uh, retrofit those solutions, or how are they going to adopt new solutions um, to enable that um, financial reporting capability and again, you know as we've talked about from the financial point of view, it is also true from the technology point of view. The time is of the essence, and the process needs to be started now. Uh, The discussions need to begin at this point, um, and technology needs to be fully engaged in the conversations with finance, with tax, uh, with legal, with all the other uh, interested groups and and get to work on that straight away.
0: Thank you very much. Pete Graham, thoughts?
5: Yeah, I mean, certainly technology is an aspect of this, um, but clearly there's also the accounting side and how it interacts with the technology, right? We have a solution that we've developed and it's live at at some customers and we've got more features coming, but we can't really implement that solution unless the accounting issues have been fully vetted out and you've, Mm -hmm. you know, as David's saying, basically you've decided on which part of the gray areas you're going to make clearly black and white. And that's really the, the biggest challenge we have. We've had customers come to us and literally say, Send us our software, when can we start implementing and we 've said we can send you the software, but you have a lot of choices to make. You need to de- decide mm-hmm. how you 're going to create performance obligations and standalone selling prices and what is your transition method and all these accounting issues mm-hmm. and uh, they can take time to resolve and and that 's the iterative or dynamic nature, and there 's certainly a um, timing aspect because that has to start at the accounting policy side and work its way through the accounting groups all the way to the auditors and make sure everyone's in agreement. I think even Julie mentioned that there's some other groups that can get pulled into that besides just accounting, which are parts of the business because it could impact, for instance, sales commissions or revenue reporting, and that's important for a lot of the different uh, business stakeholders throughout the company.
0: Thank you. Chris Smith, let's get you in on this. Thoughts?
3: Um, so I certainly agree that the technology landscape challenging for companies. Um, I, I do think, uh, to Pete's point, they do need to start to put some you know, ranges, rules of the road in place. Um, you know, I, I, He mentioned you know, people in the U.S. Are very much looking for black and white answers. I think that is rarely going to be possible in many areas of the standard, and we're just going to have to get over that. Um, I think it's about defining, you know, what's the policies for my companies, my company and my Mm -hmm. business models, and, you know, what's the range of acceptable. Uh, It's not likely that there's always going to be just a definitive single right answer, um, but there's clearly going to be some things that are obviously out of bounds. I think the challenge for a lot of companies then is then driving consistency globally. Um, It's much easier when you have a bright line, you can do this, but you can't do this, But when there's a a range it's you know, that training and education and communication out to, particularly for a global company, I think is going to be very, very important because I think even today we see under IFRS, there are some differences in terms of how people um, regard and uh, assess aspects of the current standards. And in the U.S., there's just a lot less tolerance for inconsistency across companies that have, you know, apparently similar fact patterns.
0: Thank you very much. Julie, thoughts? Yes,
1: absolutely. You know, Bonnie, from where I sit, I think this is a great opportunity to get tax more aligned or more engaged with finance or controllership, as we've said, who's leading the exercise. And it sounds like everyone agrees that all of the business functions should really be getting engaged uh, on how and where the new standard will impact the company. So I think we should look at this as a great opportunity because from what I see, I certainly think that tax seems to be lagging a little bit behind, and this is a really great opportunity Uh, to revisit tax planning, to look at tax elections that were already made, to consider in light of the business requirements, not just from a tax standpoint, but are being defined elsewhere in the organization. So I'd look at it as a positive um, in in telling companies or working with companies to help them bring our our tax friends along on the journey. I liked what Peter said about bringing the um, audit along in the journey, but I think from a functional standpoint, we really need to be thinking about tax, and I'm glad that David brought this up as a topic today.
0: Thank you. And, David, I'm going to let you wrap this one up before I go to one of Pete's topics. So, David Ferguson, any thoughts on what your co-panelists shared?
4: You I think, uh, as I said at the beginning, I think it's important to recognize that all of the, um, everyone needs to be coming to the table at, at the same time. And, and I appreciate uh, the perspectives from, from Pete and from Julie and from Chris. It is, a, it is certainly a finance-driven uh, and an accounting-driven uh, topic. Um one that again includes tax and legal and sales and and for that matter human uh h r uh when we start talking about compensation, but I think that uh you know at at the end at the back end of this is going to be um all of the financial reports will come from a system of record uh and we need to have the technology folks there, but I think like I say that's the joy about this panel is we all bring. Um, all of our perspectives to the table, and and it helps. hopefully helps our listeners see that it is a very diverse topic and one that is a complex one, if nothing else, from the organization.
0: Thank you very much. Good wrap-up, and I have one more topic to cover with Pete Graham, because, Pete, we want to make sure you get your own conversation thread to start here, and I saved something interesting from your notes, Pete. I'd like to go in this direction. You say, even with the proposed delay of standards effective date to 2018, Most companies will be pressed for time to be prepared for the new standard if they don't start now. And this ties in nicely to your quote. But let me make one more comment. You say only a third of the customers you've spoken to said they're actually already preparing for the standard. And let's go back to your George Patton quote. A good plan executed today is better than the perfect plan executed tomorrow. How many companies do you think are going to be really squeezed and sweating that midnight oil Anywhere around the world or especially in the U.S., Pete, when we get moving toward the the real date? What are your thoughts?
5: I I mean, based on the user conference we had last week, I mean, only about a third. And we had quite a nice session, and we had well over 100 people at this session. And only about a third of the hands went up, and we asked them, okay, who's Mm. already working on this? Um, So just using that data point, I mean, literally there are hundreds or thousands of companies out there that are going to be pressed. Um, especially if they don't start now, hence hence the quote, right, on, you know, starting now with the plan, because there are s- just so many moving pieces in this, and there's the impact of the transition method on parallel reporting, and that's what Julie and Chris and David can actually comment on better than I. Uh, there's the policy impact of potentially changing your accounting policies and what that could mean, and then there 's of course, the technology impact and when when all of that comes together, you know eventually you you have a system that will handle the new standard, but you got to start somewhere and that 's really my concern is that mm-hmm. customers really haven 't started and it, and I would say and, and open up to the panelists to chime in here and give me their opinions or give us their opinions is just starting with something is better than not starting, and just you know if they if you don 't start now you're going to literally turn the corner in next year in January, and all of a sudden, you know, things are going to start getting very pressed for time is is my feeling.
0: Thank you very much. Chris Smith, thoughts? You agree? Disagree with Pete?
3: Yeah, I think Pete's right there. Um, I do think um, there's been some hesitation because of all the uncertainty that we talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, you know, it's important to remember the reason they deferred the standard is because they were hearing from... uh, Financial statement preparers that they needed more time, and so you know the the companies that had started their analysis very quickly figured out um, they had some significant challenges, particularly as it related to getting systems ready. And so that message should resonate with the companies that haven't started yet, and that you know if, if the companies that have started don't think they have a time, you know, have time, they're already behind those guys because they've done something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'd say this isn't universal. You know, if there are some companies, if you have a really simple business model. Maybe. This isn't a very big deal, uh, but certainly in the space that I spend most of my time in technology, I think for most of those companies and any company, any area where people have their own industry-specific gap, um, the, the, the sooner you start figuring out what some of your issues are, the devil's really in the detail, and every project I've worked on, you know, a month in, we stumble across a number of just interesting things that nobody had expected on day one. And so the quicker you find those things, uh, the quicker you're able to deal with them and plan for them.
0: Thank you. Julie Zelke, thoughts?
1: Yep. So this is what I would say, Bonnie, now is the time to join the party if you haven't already started thinking and planning about your company's adoption of the new standard. Uh, clearly, you know, I think Chris and Peter, right, um, not as much activity or, or people at least raising hands or or admitting that they've, they've started the party, if you will, at their own company. But um, one of the things that, you know, we, we really could, could use is to help people fast forward to the end game. Those who are really struggling, as Chris, I think you said twice um, on this call about analysis paralysis. So one of the things in fast forwarding to the end game that might be helpful is to think about the new disclosure requirements and even just mocking up what that might look like for your company and then thinking through how much work it's going to take uh, moving backward to go back and collect all of the data that will be needed. Uh, And I think as as mentioned by Dave, you know, if there needs to be system changes, et cetera, it's it's going to be difficult to go back and find that information manually. So um, to plan ahead for any systemic changes in particular is very important because those are the ones that take a while to get in. Um, clearly, I think, you know, Chris, as you mentioned, those that are finding the devil in the detail um, is important, but I think being able to look at the big picture first, come up with base business requirements, and, and to be able to course correct both as the standard settles down with the proposed um, amendment that's forthcoming as well as um, being able to, course, correct as the organization you know moves further through the journey is very important. But a lot that companies can and should be doing in this space just to at least get themselves started in framing some basic business requirements around how they see the standard applying to their company.
0: Thank you, Julie. David Ferguson, I want to give you one minute on this topic. Thoughts on what your co-panelists have shared on Pete's point.
4: Uh, you bet it's I think we've covered it very well um I think that, as as Chris said, the devil is in the details um and I think that the sooner organizations begin the conversation uh within within their walls within their ranks uh to see that the the extent to which the changes are going to impact the organization, the better off they will be. I do agree that uh say that many companies seem to have been waiting. Um thinking that there might be a change of heart, there might be a delay, they might not do it, they might this, side or the other. But I think now uh that the uh this shoe really is about to the other shoe is about to drop, there is going to be a date certain, there will be uh rules in place. Um that should hopefully be a, a good motivator for, for organizations to get moving. Um and and um as Julie said, it's going to impact a lot of the organization. Um, and they need to get started on it soon rather than later.
0: Thank you very much. Pete Graham, I'm assuming that you're happy with your panelists' comments on this. So with your permission, I'm going to dial back to Chris Smith, and we're going to launch very quickly into our predictions round. Now, note to the panel, I typically ask our panelists to fast-forward the topic of the day to 2020, but I think we're going to have to say let's fast-forward to 2018 at whatever date RevRec should be implemented. So I'm going to give you each exactly 60 seconds on the clock to tell me What do you think will happen in terms of completeness of transition, in terms of preparation, preparedness, successfulness, and the OMGs of people who didn't get it right while they were ramping up? Chris Smith, one-minute predictions, 2018 or any time you choose. Go ahead.
3: Okay. Um, So clearly by then, everybody should be ready. I think inevitably um, what companies will find is they'll be able to automate a significant amount of the standard, but there are going to be some areas where I think they're just not going to get to all of the complex areas in time. And so I expect there'll be some level of uh, manual process in some areas um, as we work through the transition date. Uh, I'm optimistic that we will have worked through all of the standard. It'll actually be effective in in 2018 and will have achieved some of that consistency through all of the outreach, et cetera. Uh, but I think uh, in terms of, you know, the the regulatory regime and how people look at those financials going forward and, you know, what happens when there is a blow up, I think uh, there's still, still lots of questions around that uh, after the implementation date.
0: Thank you, Julie Zelke. EY, talk to me. 60 seconds, predictions, go. Sure,
1: absolutely, Bonnie. I think as of the implementation day, what we'll see, you know, being kind of a glass half-full kind of gal is that it'll be a positive for most companies. I think companies use regulatory accounting and other type of changes to drive value throughout the organization, particularly, as I mentioned in my intro, where there's a need for a broader finance transformation or ERP system consolidation or conversion. So I think it'll be a positive. I think they'll get there. I do think the staff um, and auditors, et cetera, uh other regulators will have questions, and it will continue to evolve. But but I see it as, as being a positive by 2018.
0: Thank you very much. David Ferguson, Deloitte, 60 seconds predictions. Go.
4: I agree um, that uh, the organizations will get there by 2018. It will have a positive effect, uh, not only here in the U.S., but from a global uh, reporting perspective, uh, to have that uniformity of, of reporting and that uniformity of methodology. Um, I think that uh, some of the challenges that will be there, uh, as as Chris mentioned, will be that the big picture will have been resolved, but some of the finer details, some of the more complex transactions may or may not have been uh, sorted out in their entirety. Um, And I think that the organizations will still be continuing to deal with what are the um, other impacts in the organization with respect to um uh... incentives and and compensation based on new contracts based on the new standards also looking at the tax department of you know preparing m1s and m2s uh... for the book to tax differences making sure that those are in line uh... between the new accounting standard and the internal revenue code making sure that those pieces are all in place and then obviously by then the technology will be there uh... the testing will have been completed uh, and the performance statements will be uh, will no longer be pro forma. They will be uh, fact-based statements at that point. But I do think it will be a successful landing uh, in 2018.
0: Thank you very much. Pete Graham, I saved 35 seconds for you. Predictions, <laughs> do it fast. Go ahead.
5: Yeah, I think overall it will be positive. I think there will still be some questions about adoption and on finer points. Uh, but I think the procrastinators will have probably a little bit more heartburn because they won't have the flexibility to have some of the choices that the earlier adopters have. So there, there you go, 35 seconds.
0: I appreciate that. You're my guy. I have to do some shout-outs. Chris Smith at PwC, thank you for joining us. Julie Zelke at EY, thank you. David Ferguson at Deloitte, thank you. Pete Graham, not only for joining us, but for putting together this exceptionally smart panel. Thank you so much, Pete. Good to work with you, and you know I mean that, Pete. Uh, Shout-out to your team colleague, Chris Grundy at SAP, who sponsors this series. And a special shout-out to Anya Reshke from SAP, who has been tweeting her tootsies off at hashtag SAP Radio, capturing a lot of the words of wisdoms, uh, wisdom of our excellent panelists. Let's see. Uh, tomorrow I'll be back 10 a.m. Eastern with Digital World with Game Changers. Two hours after that, 12 noon Eastern. Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers. Wednesday I'll be back with a live edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers. And Thursday morning I'll be here with Future of Business with Game Changers. It's one of those busy, busy weeks. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you. Shout out to Michael and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a Game Changer today. Bye-bye.
2: Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you run simple. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO. And join host Bonnie D. Graham next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.